This teaching comes to you from the team at St Mark's Darling Point, Sydney. We hope that it blesses you. Well, hi, welcome to St Mark's. I'm Tim Escott. I'll be opening the Bible for us this morning. So let's ask for God's help as we look at it together. Our Father, we thank you that all scripture is breathed out by you and useful for us and to show us the way of salvation. And we pray now that you would be with us and help us to understand and to be transformed. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, that reading from Genesis 29 is one of the most dramatic scenes in the whole Bible. Love, joy, deception, bigamy, neglect, infertility, and bitter sadness in a deeply dysfunctional family. And, you know, I think passages like this can be so puzzling for us. You know, aren't we supposed to open the Bible and find edifying stories of faithfulness, goodness and love? The ugly power of a story like this is that it distills so much of our own experiences of relational and familial difficulty and doesn't seem to offer us any hope or promise of fulfillment. You know, if, if these are the families of the Bible, what hope is there? And what's more, this family is supposed to be God's chosen family, the family who God will bless and through whom blessing, renewal and healing is supposed to come to the world. But instead we have this unedifying thicket of passions and naked human characteristics. It's so hopeless and far from fulfilment. So what hope is there for Jacob's family, for God's promises to bring peace and blessing? What hope is there for our own families? Well, as we look at this next chapter of Jacob's story, it actually begins with a fulfilled family life. Now, over the last couple of weeks, we've seen how Jacob's deceptive and thieving ways alienated him from his family. His brother wanted to murder him, so he fled to the north alone in exile. But even there, God graciously appeared to this unlikely man and promised to bless him with family, land and blessing and to protect him while he's away from home. And so with Genesis 29, it looks like God starts to fulfill those promises for family and blessing because when he arrives at his destination, Jacob meets the love of his life, his future wife, Rachel. He arrives in the land of his ancestors. He stops at a well and while he's asking the local shepherds if they know his relatives, his beautiful cousin Rachel turns up. He's so energized at the sight of her that he heroically rolls away the stone from the, from the top of the well. He waters her sheep, kisses her and emotionally bursts into tears. And so she runs home and tells her father Laban and he runs out and embraces Jacob as a long-awaited-for kinsman and future son-in-law. And what makes it all the more auspicious is that all of this sounds a lot like chapter 24 of Genesis, when Jacob's mum and dad, Isaac and Rebekah, get together. Well, that went well for them, so this will too, right? And that's where our reading picks up. Jacob is head over heels for Rachel. She's so graceful and beautiful that he agrees to work for her father for seven years to earn her hand in marriage. And those years seem like but a few days because of the love he had for her. It's a beautiful love story. 
And you know, isn't this the kind of thing that we want? Maybe not marrying our cousins or paying a bride price, but these cultural differences aside, this kind of energized love is exciting. This kind of solidarity and peace is what we want in our families, in our relationships. Compared to the sometimes bored familiarity or tiresome squabbling or the pain of divorce or estrangement or loneliness, this, kind of, this is the kind of thing that we long and hope for. And so at this point, it looks like God is coming through with his promises. He's fulfilling his promises for family, blessing and renewal. But suddenly, the story flips on its head. Because after seven long years of working for the love of his life, Jacob finally marries her. But somehow, Jacob's uncle Laban manages to pull a switcheroo and Jacob wakes up to find he's married to Leah, Rachel's older sister. And you know, in some ways, it's... It's ridiculous, a ridiculous story. How could that possibly happen? You could fill in the blanks and guess you know, maybe it had something to do with, with a veiled bride, too much alcohol, uh, the darkness, and Leah's involvement in the switch. But it doesn't say. that The point is that Jacob has received a hefty dose of his own medicine. The deceiver has been deceived. The trickster tricked. Just like Jacob took advantage of his father and switched places with his older brother, so Laban takes advantage of Jacob and switches the older for the younger. And so Jacob ends up having to work for another seven years to marry Rachel. And so it seems that God is using Laban to teach Jacob a hard lesson because even though Jacob began to respond to God well in the last chapter, he still has a long way to go. He's still so self-dependent and forthright. And he goes back to his deceiving ways later, later on too. Jacob has to learn the value of peace with his family and to depend on God. And so one of the things we can say in the thicket of our own conflicts and struggles is that in God's grace, he can use them to shape us and discipline us. Now, these can be really hard lessons that sometimes can only be, only be perceived with hindsight. And, you know, it's not to say that this makes them good or we should excuse abuse or, or mistreatment or even that we can't be really damaged by them. But it does say that even as we experience conflict and relational distress, God can use those difficulties to shape us and mould us, to teach us patience and forgiveness, gentleness and graciousness, and teach us to depend on God in the midst of our weakness and our pain. And yet, the Jacob story, it's, it's not quite so neat as that. You know, it's not like Jacob learns his lesson and then everyone's happy. Jacob and Laban are far from their original embrace and declaration of their kinship when they first met. And Jacob now has two wives and he loves Rachel more than Leah. 
Leah is unloved and bitterly sad. She even names her children based on the affliction and hate that she feels and the longing that she has for love and affection from her neglectful husband. And you see in the next chapter, Rachel can't have children. So the pain of her infertility makes her bitterly jealous and she yearns to have children like her sister. And not to mention that these poor women have been treated like possessions to be sold by their father and used and neglected by their husband. And so the whole thing is is desperate and pathetic picture. There's no fulfilled family life here. It's an unfulfilled family and unfulfilled promises from God. And it's also a picture that reflects in a concentrated way what our families can be like, of the way parents and children can neglect and take advantage of each other, of the way men can treat women as objects, of the pain of infertility, of rivalry and envy that comes out of pain, and of the way when things are looking so good, we can be blindsided by deception or tragedy and our families turned upside down. You know, right now we find ourselves in, ex- in an extraordinary social situation. You know, we're either in enhanced isolation or in relational intensity with the other people in our homes. And so many of you feel these things in especially acute ways. The pain of separation from your spouse or your children or your siblings. The heat of conflict and contempt and the coldness of distance and deceit. And the point of Jacob's story is that these things are deep inside us. They go back to the first lies and blame shifting of Adam and Eve in the garden, to the envy and murder of the first siblings, Cain and Abel, and they continue in us today. And so what we need then isn't just some moral lessons that we can learn from or even lessons on how to forgive or be patient. What we need is a more fundamental transformation and fulfillment that only God can bring. Did you notice that God actually doesn't appear in all of chapter 29? After he appears at the end of chapter 28 making those promises, Jacob doesn't mention God again. And the only time he shows up is in verse 31. When the Lord saw that Leah was unloved, he opened her womb. Even in the midst of this unfulfilled family life, God graciously fulfills his promises for family and blessing. Despite her cruel and conniving ways, God gives children to Rachel. Despite Jacob's ongoing ambivalence, he moves Jacob from being an empty-handed fugitive to a blessed man with a huge family and great wealth. And God doesn't wait until these people are better and have it all together. He blesses them and the world through them, despite and in the middle of this conflicted, dysfunctional family. I think for us, this means two things as we look for God's grace in our own families. 
The first is that through Jacob's children, God was working to bring peace and create a new worldwide family in Jesus Christ. Leah's fourth child is Judah. And through Judah's descendants, the kings of Israel came and our Lord Jesus came. He was the seed of Jacob who brings blessing to the world, even through the awful treachery and sadness of his death on the cross. Jesus enables us to come into a new family, to be children of God, and not to erase our natural families, but to allow us to treasure each other as brothers and sisters. Sadly, this spiritual family can still display some of the dysfunction and dissension that characterize Jacob's family, but by God's grace and through the work of his spirit, he enables us to grow in patience love and forgiveness. And so we have a present and future hope of a renewed family life in Jesus Christ and with his people. Now, maybe you're from a great family, a loving family. And so it's important for you to remember that your ultimate hope is in Jesus Christ's family. But if you're from a really difficult family or no family, Remember that you have a spiritual family by God's grace, somewhere to love and be loved. But the second way that we can find God's grace in our families is that we need to entrust ourselves to God to make our family and relational life strong. Now, if you're from a great family, don't fall into the trap of thinking that this is your own doing. It's a gift of God. And likewise, if you want peace, children or healing, they won't come simply from our grasping over them. Yes, we can use the means around us, medicine, wisdom, but in the end, it is God who gives these things out of his grace and God who gives us strength to persevere. The same God who saw Leah's mistreatment and sadness is the same God the same gracious God who delights to bless you in his own way, in his own time. And so today, as you listen to God through this unlikely story, I invite, yourself, I invite you to entrust yourself to the God from whom everything good comes, who is able to enrich you and bless your home even in the face of dysfunction and hostility and pain and who, even through the dysfunctional family of Jacob, is creating a new family, brothers brothers and sisters, with Jesus Christ as our brother and God our loving and gracious Father. Amen. Thanks for listening. Please visit our website at www.stmarksdp.org to subscribe to our new episodes, browse more resources and find more information about the community of St Mark's.